0: This thing on. Yesterday's price is not today's price. Welcome back to another episode of the Run the Numbers podcast. I am privileged to be here with Ryan Walsh, who's the CEO and founder of RepView. Ryan, what's going on, man? Thanks, CJ. Appreciate it. Yeah, great to be here. A lot of finance people who listen to the pod are the ones who are coming up with sales capacity planning models and sales rep commission plans. And I've been searching for a while for an expert to help go deep on this topic. And I think I've found my man. So are you ready to dive into this sales rep stuff? Totally ready. I love it. It's a great topic. So off the bat, I just want to qualify why I believe you're uniquely talented to help go over this. Can you just give like the 30 second overview of what RepView does and and how you set up to start this company?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm the founder and CEO of RepView and RepView is a platform where B2B salespeople will go essentially on the platform. They will submit a rating of their sales organization, a highly objective, mostly data driven uh, submission of their sales organization. It captures things like the, their sentiment around professional development, culture, training. We capture things like the percent of team that hits quota, deal cycle lengths, average deal size. In exchange for that, uh, when they sign up, they get access to the platform. And, and what RepView is really good at, and, and the problem that we're ultimately solving is the the ability for salespeople to have access to really unique really digestible information about what it's really like to work for any of the world's most well-known sales organizations. And so what, what I was going to say, what we're really good at is taking all this data that we get thousands of submissions a week from B2B salespeople and really kind of digesting it and presenting it back to them in a, in a very kind of clean, usable way, format in the form of a profile of company.
0: And to give a tangible example, I was telling you before the pod started that I went for a jog with my buddy this morning and he was a rep at Salesforce. And now he's kind of opening his eyes to what other opportunities are out there. And something cool that blew his mind with RepView is y- you may hear from a recruiter, hey, the base is 200K, the commission's 200K, OTE 400. But the dirty secret is that only like 40% or so, it depends company to company, of reps actually hit that commission target. So you could be walking into something where maybe the product isn't as good as you thought it was, or maybe the culture isn't as good, or it's just not likely that the goals are going to be aligned to, to your expectations. So RepView definitely resonates with sales reps who are looking for their next gig.
1: Yeah, love it. I appreciate the anecdote, the story, and that's really core to the mission. And in, in Salesforce, that's a, an, an example of a great company, but every role is different and every manager is different. Every organization is managed differently. And so Yeah, base and OTE is really just a a fraction of the story of, can I win in this job or at this company? You've got to go way deeper than that. So that's kind of what we're we're trying to help with.
0: So maybe to kick it off here, I wanted to talk about common comp structures that you see across tech companies. The structure in my mind is usually like a 50-50 base variable. Is that usually what you see or can this be different flavors?
1: So, RepView also captures salary information for every submission. We have hundreds of thousands over the last couple of years. So, the technology account executive typically is 50 50, can stray from there a little bit. When you get outside of kind of concentric circles of supporting sales roles, you know, a sales development rep might be 65% based, 35% variable. An account manager, maybe they carry a quota, maybe it's a hybrid quota, existing customers plus some new customers, or, or maybe it's all existing customers maybe that's 55 to 60%, it starts to skew again, a little bit more towards the base versus the variable. If you're a manager managing account executives, you're going to still be close to 50 50. As you get up in the org, it might, you might skew a little bit more, but I think a good uh, in technology companies, software companies, you're still looking at for the most part, 50 uh, 50 base variable. And really what that means is you use an example, I'll use another example. You have a hundred base. Uh, like if you get a job offer, a hundred thousand dollar base salary, so that's guaranteed, and then you have a hundred thousand dollars that if you hit right at your plan, at your quota, your target, right on the number, you would expect another one hundred thousand. So then, obviously, you'd want to be able to overachieve that if possible. But of course, on the flip side, uh, if things don't don't go as well as you'd hope, you're not going to make that other one hundred thousand.
0: And as a CFO, I'm constantly trying to figure out how many of my sales reps should attain quota if I've set the plan correctly, because there is a bit of an art and a bit of a science to setting the goals. And so based on the data that you see, Ryan, what percentage of reps attain quota on a quarterly basis?
1: Well, unfortunately, it's dropped. So we're seeing under 40%. We're seeing in the 30% for a lot of these roles. And the account executives specifically have dropped quite a bit in the last 12 to 18 months. They've gone from mid forties, high forties, down to mid thirties and low thirties. talked about this before. It was like the concept of, okay, if I have 10 reps, that is not ideal. So just to be clear, let me start with that.
0: Yeah, good, good disclaimer. That's not what you want. (laughs) Yeah,
1: in the CFO seat, in the CRO seat. and, And that's my background before, before I started RepView, I was a CRO of a publicly traded software company for many years. Before that, I was VP of sales. And then before that director and then getting back into the early 2000s, you can tell from my hair color. I was selling software for many, many years. And so I've kind of lived this. And in the low thirties as a CRO, you know, you look at that and you think, well, you, and, and believe it or not, you, you can have low thirties and still like hit your number as a company, as a business, as a, you know, hit the top line number. You can still hit that, but it, it starts to degrade the quality of the organization. It starts to drive more attrition. And so you don't really want to be there. We, we love seeing sales organizations that are cl- closer to 60% of the team hitting quota is never realistic and, and I don't think you should expect it to be 100% but you asked a question I think before we were talking about this a little bit was if, if I have 10 people on the team how many should hit right and, and I think about if I've got 10 I'd love to have one person that's absolutely annihilating their target right like maybe 200% or more I'd like to have another person that's you know maybe 150 like you've got the bar setter first right and then you've got maybe another one that's you know, the fast follow chaser. And then you probably have five to six that are kind of right around that number, right? Maybe it's, you know, between 85 and 115%. Maybe they hit, maybe they don't, but but if a few of them more miss then you're kind of on the low side, but but they're, they're pretty close. And then you're always going to have a couple, you know, whether it's two or three that are, are not there yet, and maybe they're newer, or maybe it's somebody that is just not a great fit or something. So that's always going to be the case, but y- you have to think about it like that. You really want to get and what I just described is you've got a bulk of people that whether they're hitting or not, they're in position, you know, it's structured so that they're close. And again, some of them might miss, but it's not like they're at 40, 50%. They're, they're, you know, 80% or, or higher. So that's, that's a, a, a way that you kind of anecdotally think about it as well.
0: This is the juice that the people come to the pod for, because this distribution is important, not just because a sales rep is grading. Hey, how did I hit? of quota, but I mean, me as a finance person, I'm always grading myself of how I set the plan because it's not like just on the rep to hit the number. It's on finance and sales ops and rev ops to put it at a realistic number. And so at the end of the period, if a sales manager is sitting down and looking at 10 reps, you'd said just to recap, like maybe one is totally crushing it. Maybe another one is ahead of plan. How many people would you say are kind of circling around that, you know, maybe between... What would it be like, ninety and one hundred percent?
1: Yeah, I think between eighty five and one hundred fifteen percent, where you're going to have a couple that are blowing it out, and then there's a, there's hopefully a large chunk that you as a CRO, you as a CFO, and the CEO is is ultimately responsible for this as well. They're building an infrastructure that can support a, a majority of people that that have a chance to achieve their target, right? And so if you've got a couple of big time performers and out of ten, and then you have call it five or six that are in that, hey, this person can hit their quota. They're doing some of the right stuff. Their territory is working for them. And, you know, maybe they're not going to hit 150%, but, but they're also not going to hit 50%, right? And so when you take those and you take your top performers, now you're looking at it where like, you know, a really, really good period. And, you know, we, we use quarter. It can be quarter. It can be month. It can be year, depending on the deal sizes and things like that. But you, you've got an opportunity to get to 70% of the people there, right? Which, which is which is really, really good. And to clarify, when we talk about quota attainment, we, we are like in the context of, of what we do at Repview and what we share on LinkedIn, on Twitter, with our users on our website, we're talking about the percent of people that get to the number or above. And so we do not ask people when they come to Repview, we do not ask, did you hit quota? for a couple of reasons. Number one, every, every hit quota. Of course I hit quota. Yeah, check. Yes, I hit my quota. It, it, you know, Redview, we have jobs that so people might think, yeah, I better say yes, or I'll be at a disadvantage, things like that. But we ask what percentage of your team specific to your role typically attains their quota, which is more disarming, and it gives us really, really accurate information. You know, that that's what we're looking for. Now, when you see 40% of the people hit quota or 60% of people hit quota, well, there might be a small number that hit 400% of quota so that the company blows out their number and then you've got a whole group of people down here at fifty percent.
0: And you'd mentioned earlier that it's still possible for a company to hit their goal even if only thirty or forty percent of the sales reps are hitting it. Just to clarify, is that because the company is overassigned to such a level that they make up for any shortfall?
1: That's a big part of it. I, w- I would say it's not even possible. I would say it's common. I would say it's normal. I would say that's the that's the modus operandi of software companies is. How many layers are there? You know, you mentioned Salesforce earlier, right? Like you go from an individual contributor to whoever's kind of the head of their sales org. I don't know which, which title that would be, but president or CRO or COO or something, eight layers. Right. So, but, but, so then how does that math work? Right. If I'm a first line manager and I have six reps on my team and each one of those reps has, call it a $700,000 quota for the year, that's their quota for, call it eight, acv they need to bring in acv 600k so that's seven times six so as a manager i'm sitting on top of 4.2 million dollars of what we'll call quota coverage okay so i've got quota coverage of 4.2 but my director comes to me and says all right you know, cj let's have a great quarter you got quota coverage of 4.2 your goal is 3.4 okay great all right so that's 3.4 so you've got buffer right and guess what your director has? Director has buffer. There's four CJs, each with a 3.4, which adds up to, what is that, 13.6, right? So director has 13.6 quota coverage. But in reality, they have 4.2 times four when you go down a layer. So the director's like, well, I've got four directors. They each have a 3.2. So I've got the, so then my quota is 10. Maybe that's a little bit aggressive here. because Even we say, we'll say 11.5. So the director has 11.5 quota the sum of their four managers quota is 13.6 and the sum of their team's quota is 16.8 the sum of all the ic's quota is 16.8 i'm not saying that's evil by the way i'm just saying that what if two of my reps left that can and will happen and then i as a first line manager and just totally screwed no way i'll hit my number unless two of my reps hit the 200 or something and so that's why you get a little bit of a buffer and and it just adds up, right? It just adds up, and it also that whole thing drives efficiency in the model. And and I said it's not evil, right? As a as a sales manager, you're spending all your time going to your salespeople, and you're saying, hey, what's your pipeline coverage? Maybe in a quarter, your goal is you know whatever that is, three one seventy five, I guess. You've only got two fifty of pipeline coverage this quarter. You, you know you need way more than that. It's the same concept, you know. Deals are going to fail. And these are going to close, close loss.
0: I love how you laid out the math for us there. That was amazing. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Reduce burn, extend runway, do more with less. Operational efficiency. These are all catchphrases that we know all too well because of the headwinds business leaders face in today's growth environment. Growth is now a battle, not a breeze. While teams are on the front lines fighting every day for top-line yardage, there are hidden savings opportunities right beneath their feet. That's where Tropic comes into play. Their procurement platform brings order and process to a historically decentralized and chaotic business function. Purchasing and Supplier Management Tropic serves as the front door for procurement that your entire company will want to use. By combining intake forms, pricing benchmarks, approval workflows, and supplier management all in one place, Tropic makes savings opportunities easy to find and act on. When you pour blood, sweat, and tears into revenue growth, doesn't it make sense to protect what you have fought for? Visit tropicapp.io slash metrics to learn how modern businesses are controlling spend to extend their runway. Your board will thank you. Your budget will thank you. Your bottom line will thank you. I want to dig into the cultural element of that because I've also been at organizations with a large field sales force and we admittedly set the number to to the reps feet on the street pretty high not many of them were hitting their plan but we who were engaged against the board plan were doing pretty well we were hit we were more than 10 percent exceeding it and so then you run into this dynamic of certain people going down the hallway high-fiving because they're hitting their goal but then the reps are like what the hell like i'm not getting paid here have you seen that happen before and go sideways? For
1: sure. I mean, that's that's really it's a great point. You, the CFO and the and the CEO are high fiving in the boardroom, right? Another another smash quarter with only 30% of the people are hitting quota. I think really, really what the 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 thing that it comes down to is I don't at, at a certain level, salespeople don't care as long as they feel like they have a path to hit their number. If your sales organization is structured and, and your territories like if if I feel like I can hit my number re- with a reasonable amount of effort, doing my part, doing the stuff that I need to do as a salesperson, and I can hit my number and the territory's fine, I should know and expect that there's going to be buffer in the system, right? You know that there, there there should be. That's how a business should run. It shouldn't be excessive, and that's okay. And it's just the the fact of the matter is where it goes sideways, and what you're talking about, the disgruntled is like it, where it just feels uh, almost predatory right? Where it's like, we're going to brute force. And that was it was interesting. That I don't know if you saw that Salesforce article and the title of that article was sales by force. Yeah. So I think conceptually speaking, what, what, what I think there is like, we're going to brute force our way to hitting a number, right? I know the article's new one. there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. It's not necessarily specifically related to this, this concept, but we're going to brute force, like, and, and we'll, we'll kind of rag on CFOs sometimes where it's like, the, the, the CFO looks at the spreadsheet and they see the line that says quota-carrying sales rep count. And they're like, well, everyone we add contributes $374,251 in ARR. And so let's add 10 more of those, even though you know the target we know is $500,000. Uh, that's what brute forcing it is. Whereas, you know, I think in, in the last year or two, particularly with the macroeconomic conditions, you are seeing a little bit of a shift back to like, what if we kind of went Navy seal style? What that means is you're giving people in the context of sales, you're giving people a higher opportunity to succeed, right? And it's a better trained, smaller team. A funny example is like Mark Benioff actually said earlier this year was like 95% of our business comes from 50% of our sales team members. Yeah, he, he said that publicly and a lot of people were shocked and I'm like, well, that's how it's been at every software company. For many many years and it's because well we can add more of our sales capacity and and we think that'll do it and it's just it, it kind of i think we've kind of hit the end of that that road of that strategy here in the last year or so
0: if i'm a cfo and i'm looking at the plan for next year ryan and i'm saying i'm gonna make some of these territories smaller and throw more reps at it any words of caution there before i do it you really
1: should look at realistic addressable market metrics and you know, refuse a venture-backed company, so I'm very familiar with the concept of "Hey, pitch the TAM." Wow, this is massive TAM here, right? But when you when you go like, "Well, who can we actually call
0: on?" The serviceable addressable market. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and I think you we sometimes we get a little too far apart on the serviceable addressable market of like because you just asked a question. The question you asked is, "I'm going to split my territories," and you know, ideally, you have a you have a kind of a, a method and a methodology and a and a sound process around what can one sales professional kind of support and engage with from a, whether it's in a territory, whether that's a geographic, it always just comes down to like how many accounts in their territory, right. That are, that are reasonably serviceable, like defensively serviceable, right? Like, and so do you, do you have more accounts that are not being touched adequately? Do you have some set of accounts? Do you, is there a green field? Like let's go hire some more reps. Let's build this out. Let's go attack that. But if it's like the same set of accounts, and you know, m- maybe you can improve your, your quality by moving some of the low performers out and big performers in. But splitting territories at some point, it just becomes a, a, you know, a process of, of annoying salespeople and, and causing attrition um, because there's only so much you can squeeze out of it. So, it, what I, my, I would just say, you, you really need to look at and, and be really tight on what is the serviceable, addressable market reachable. uh, Sometimes I call it RAM versus TAM, reachable addressable market versus total addressable market.
0: And within that, I think you'd said greenfield. Two terms that I've heard thrown around in the past are blue ocean and red ocean. And correct me if I'm wrong on my definitions here, but my understanding is that blue ocean is that it's, it's, basically unclaimed and you can go after it and there's not much competition there and then red ocean is when you're trying to displace somebody so do you think that should factor into any market analysis as well to see if you want to flood the territory yeah i,
1: th- I think that's right I've, yeah familiar with those terms as well i mean obviously blue ocean if if you're using that definition it, that that for salespeople we love it you still have to sell you still have to prove a pain that maybe there's a reason they're not using some other solution for this though so there, there could be hurdles and challenges so nothing is easy right you're and you're always competing for dollars and competing for attention then on the flip side red ocean well you know they have a pain and they're willing to spend money for your solution but ripping out and replacing depending on the complexity of your solution is is challenging right so if you give a salesperson a territory of 100 accounts and they're all installed with somebody else, right? It's like, oh man, that's that can be tough, right? Like, hey, call me back in 18 months when our contract's up. Well, okay, <laughs> like in 40 of your accounts tell you that, now you have 60 accounts, right? For the next 18 months to, to, to target. So all things equal, I think if, when I talk about Greenfield, I'm talking about, what I'm talking about, the, the terminology of Greenfield is like you're essentially creating, in, in a startup world, you're, you're kind of creating you, you're You're accessing addressable market that's never been touched by your solution. It's not even so much they know about what you have and they've evaluated they didn't go with a vendor so maybe blue ocean mean and and so there there's definitely similarities that I, I could probably figure out the nuance between blue ocean and Greenfield But when I'm talking about greenfield I'm talking about you can add more salespeople because you have accounts and 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 it could be claimed by competitors they could be not but it's accounts that are essentially not being touched by your organization because you've got 10,000 account lists and you've got 20 reps and they can't, you know, they they can't do 500 accounts each, right? So if, if, if you go to your TAM and you sort it out and you're like, all right, my TAM is 10, these 10,000 accounts represent a really appropriate addressable market. Then you say, all right, well, what is one reasonable salesperson? What can they manage knowing touch points and you know how hard the the deals are or whatever it's probably not 500 maybe a couple hundred or maybe, maybe maybe it is if it's really smb but and so then you're like well i've got 10 aes i've got greenfield essentially like let's go and then and then you get to your capacity of like all right we'll set a number at 200 accounts per rep so that's 50 reps and then and then you you adjust but when you get to that point you can't just as a cfo you can't just be like man we groove to 50 reps and now we're doing really well. Let's add fifty more.
0: No, they're diminishing returns after a while because the early adopters buy your stuff first.
1: Yeah, the greenfield would be. Oh, and guess what? We found another ten thousand accounts.
0: Hmm. Now we're going into this new sector. Like we haven't done education or government before, and now that's greenfield.
1: Yep, or or new product, right? New product, new sector right. Or international, or, you know, that that's how you,
0: that's how you think about that. To link it together. I want to get to how you pay reps then once you come up with the capacity. So a rule of thumb that I've used in the past is that you want the ratio of quota to OTE to be five X when you're at like a healthy state. Do you think that's high low? Does it change like over a company's maturity?
1: No, I think, I think that's, that's always kind of been the standard. First of all, SAS has been unprofitable for a long, long time, right? So maybe this is all wrong, right? It's just this is just what people have done, which is five. So you have a hundred thousand dollar base pay, you have a hundred thousand dollar variable. The model looks like this is a human with two hundred thousand dollar total comp, assuming on their number. So five x would be five x that two hundred. So they have, maybe that's a million dollar quota because that's five x. Yeah, million. Yep. So and then you have your 50-50 base to OTE ratio. So sometimes you'll hear is a 10x base ratio. So similar.
0: Oh, I've never done the base ratio. That's good. I've never done it that way, too. Yeah. A lot of people do that as well.
1: Sometimes when you're not 50-50, it can there's a little nuance in there, but but standard operating procedure, more mature SaaS company, uh 50-50, 10 this, 5 this, and that's your 100 200 you know, million plug-in, whatever your your comp is. And so that's that's five X. And then earlier stage sometimes it can be a little bit loosened three to four x maybe first of all you can justify that because if let's just say we're talking about tech and software and it's probably funded it's probably vc funded and so you're 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 using venture capital dollars to fund that that's how because it's not a profitable endeavor to do three and a half x right it just you can't sustain yourself that way and then you layer on oh we're going to have an sdr team Right. And and we're gonna and I see this question all the time. Nobody's ever answered it, which is like, well, how do I prove the profitability of my SDRs? I say nobody's ever answered it because it's not that's not a question you you should be thinking about answering. You should be thinking about this is my total cost of a deal, and my total cost of a deal is this. And to, to ensure that there's some profitability and efficiency in there, what I really need to think about is how do I distribute those dollars among team members? Do I wanna have a team of 50 AEs and 25 SDRs? Maybe I do because then, you know, the AEs don't have to spend all their time prospecting and and doing work that a a more junior person that's earlier in their career and wants to move up, maybe they can do that work. Anyways, the the, the five to one ratio is appropriate. A a lot of these companies in the last few years are in five to one ratio and they're still not very profitable at all. And so, It's the standard i just don't know what that really even means other than that's just the standard and it's what everybody else kind of does so that's a that's what we should do
0: i have anecdotally heard though that a company like we i we keep bringing up salesforce but let's use aws as an example or, or google now you have like 150 products to sell and they're also looking at a different financial profile where they want to make a profit i've heard some of those reps can have like a 9 10 11x Ratio is that true?
1: You mentioned a couple that may have some some usage components to their plan,
0: possibly. Great point. That was an awesome call out. Yeah, it's not just SaaS; it's it's consumption based.
1: Right. So my quota might be higher, yeah. But what's gonna I'm gonna bring them in at a lower amount, and then hopefully their usage will scale. And so it's a different way to get to similar, you know, as as an AWS rep, maybe a senior person, right? Hey, I want to be bringing in four hundred grand, five hundred grand, but hit my number and all that. You're going to do that a little differently than a a Salesforce rep who's just going to hit these new deals, and then they're going to upsell seats. Whereas, you know, AWS there's consumption, right? And and oh, I brought on this 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 company. I know they're going to grow really fast. I'm going to crush my number because the consumption is going to go up. So it with and there's some of that going on, you know, at at like a Snowflake or you know other other organizations like that where you where you'll have some of that. So it when when I'm talking about the five to one, I'm I'm really talking about kind of kind of a more of a down the middle ACV. Um, versus a consumption
0: model. And just for listeners, so like if I'm at a gong where it's SaaS and versus uh, Snowflake, which is usage-based, you're saying those two comp plans should look pretty different?
1: They're going to look different in, in their structure. But at the end of the day, I think th- those two companies, for example, might compete for the same really good technology salesperson. And so what they're going to want to communicate is, hey, you have the opportunity to far exceed your number and get total comp of X. And it's not like one's going to say something way different than the other, but structurally speaking, yes, gong is that they would say they're not a single product thing because they've expanded, but you know, it's, you're, you know, kind of what you're selling and you're, you're signing up a customer and it's a number of seats and this is the deal value versus like, I guess Snowflake was the example used, right? Like we don't get like the structures of the comp plan. So I don't know all the intricacies. I just know that there's consumption based in there. There's different ways to look at upside and there's different ways to structure the plan where you, you as a salesperson get credit. And, I, and I've done some plans like this as well in the past where you bring in a customer and you get credit for what they do for at least some period of time. And in a consumption-based model, a lot of times companies will sign up without much commitment. And Snowflake will say, we're offering, a- we have a great thing going here and we know if we can just get them in the door, they're gonna really, really grow on our platform. They got me probably. with it and it worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you probably started out with a not a massive like
0: commitment. No, it was super low and it was like a six month small contract and we ended up blowing it out and then we signed up for a three year deal. So it, it worked. You signed up for the
1: small thing, you blew it out, and then you're paying them a lot, and they're like, "Hey, we can reduce your bill, right? Just commit to this three-year thing." And what they did was they said, "You you will now commit," and you're like, "Well, we know we're going way over that. We're going to keep using it, so let's commit." And then Snowflake all of a sudden is now like happy that they've got a commitment, right? And that's you know the historical thing with tech companies is like the committed revenue is better than the transactional revenue. And so it's, it's a good strategy for them and it's low, lower risk for you. If it's, just not out of the gate for a period of time, you're, you're overpaying and then that salesperson is going back and saying, Hey, now I've got this commitment thing. And so they can come in and and score more points on that.
0: And it worked out for both of us in that sense. And we're happy, but where sometimes you find orgs that aren't happy. So as a CFO specifically, I, I do get frustrated when the commission we pay out in one quarter, it's like 120% but the achievement to plan is like 93%. So we kind of missed the mark there. And so in your experience, why, why does that happen?
1: It, it really shouldn't happen, you know, at, at that level, um, depending on the sale. I mean, if you have three salespeople, you, it, it's a badly constructed comp plan. You could have a couple of really, really good performers where their kind of loaded commission rate ends up around 18% or, or something like that in a, in a, in a recurring revenue business. You know, whereas your standard base commission rate might be 10%, you know, and and again, if you think about that, your quota is a million and your variable comp is a hundred thousand by definition, calculated base commission rate generally would be 10% because 10%, that's 10% ratio. But so when you overachieve and overachieve and overachieve, you get these kickers and, 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 you know, additional, you know, incremental percentage points on top of that. But there's no, you know, that, that that should be capped and limited. And so as a CRO myself, that's something I looked at every quarter. And and, and I had a big team, a couple hundred AEs or 250 salespeople and 125 of them were AEs. And, and if I saw 120 versus 93, you know, our CEO and me were probably having a, a tough conversation about what why the comp plan is completely broken, right? It should, you know, 93, if, if we end at 93 of the number, I, I could probably argue that. You know, maybe up to hundred, and so how do you fix it? If you have really great accelerators, you might need to consider some decelerators, right? Like you don't just get paid, you know. So, so decelerate and accelerate. I think that that that's really an easy mechanism, or you, or or structurally, you might have a problem with the point, the the met, that like the actual math, you might have a might need to really take a look at that.
0: So, I'm glad you brought up the word accelerator. I'm gonna uh, derivative of that question. It's controversial. Do you think? That sales spiffs work? And if so, when's the best time to use them in your sales experience?
1: I love sales spiffs, but I think, I think people misuse them is the problem, right? I think-
0: A lot of finance guys are listening to this right now, Ryan, and saying, oh, I hate spiffs, so. Well, you know, they're,
1: they're misused is why they probably hate them, right? A, a, a spiff should not, a lot of spiffs should not even raise to the level of like being on finance's radar, right? It, it should be a really short-term thing short-term out outcome driven and immediately gratified. And so what I mean by that is, and, and and it should not be tied to your core metrics, really, in my opinion, it's not like, Hey, we're going to miss our number. Let's, if we hit our number, like I'm going to do, it's really like, all right, Hey, um, the way I used to like to do spiffs would be something like, you know, Hey, it's Wednesday. Like let, let's do a kind of a opportunity generation thing between now and the end of the week. Let's see if we can cr- create some pipeline. And and so whoever gets the pipeline, you know, generates the top four people that create the most new deals, new opportunities, in our pipeline, here's $250 gift card. So your short term, it's not, you know, your core numbers is, is revenue or new business, right? So it's not like necessarily tied to that. And so so I I, I look at Spiffs as just something that can be fun and light. I think where, where they go wrong is people get them so tied into like, almost hard to separate from the actual number, like the, the the goal and the number itself.
0: Yeah. And we had talked to Ethan Schechter, who was the fail- first sales leader at Sneak, longest tenured sales leader there. And he was describing to us that he thinks of Spiffs as a way to get more out of the middle of his pack. Because the way he explained it to me was that, like, I know my high achievers are going to be high achievers. I know my low achievers aren't going to make it for that quarter or they're still ramping. But this is the way for me to get someone who's going to hit like 80% to like 95%. I'm
1: curious if you agree with that. It's not really a matter of agreeing or disagreeing. I think I would be more curious as to the mechanism of that. So I love that concept, which is like, it's kind of what I talked about earlier, which is like, you have a couple of folks that are like, you know, the 200% person, the 150, and then you've got that five or six that are kind of like in that 85 to 115. So he's, he's talking about like, Hey, if I can get a couple more of those 85 to 90 is up to hundred to one Oh five. Love that. Love that concept. I just would question, like, let's make sure, like, how are we like, what is the spiff? Like, is it just like, Hey, if you hit your, if you hit your number, then I'm going to give you a trip somewhere. Like, okay. Like I like trips and stuff like that. And, and those are good motivators, but then that, that does potentially get you in that area of like 120% versus 93%. Like how are we getting people there, right? Like, you know, that that that's and, and a spiff, you you know, I love the concept of a president's club thing. I don't see that as a spiff, I see that as kind of standard operating procedure for most orgs. But so so I would say like conceptually I, I love the idea of like how do we get those if we have five to seven that are like between eighty five and one fifteen, how do we make sure we maximize those that get to a hundred because morale and they're happy and all that. Um, I would just I would just, you know, kind of tread a little lightly on what is the
0: mechanism of the spiff. This is probably a throwaway comment, but I used to always be the person. We used to always do watches for some reason. Salespeople just love watches. I think it's cause they can wear it and they can tell people why, what, where it came from, but I used to be the finance person who had to go and physically purchase them all online, um, and then get them sent to the rep. So I would have to like slack them. Like what, which watch do you want? So, uh, I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. What was the nicest watch you ever bought? The nicest watch, uh, somebody closed, I think it was the biggest deal in the company history at the time. It was like over a million bucks. And um, I think it was like a $5,000 watch, like a $5,000 Rolex. I'm curious, what's the, what's the nicest like, uh, reward you've ever seen a sales rep get? I mean, we used to do like a
1: 10K, $10,000 for like our salesperson of the year award. Uh, but it was, it was just one of those things we did every single year's budget for, and we'd give the big check. So like the golf check we used to at our kickoff. Um, so I, I I love I love a big check golf check. We had a a spinner wheel with prizes on it for certain spiffs. So like, think of like almost a vertical wheel, fortune wheel, like with the, the tick, 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 and we put very like a TV on it. Like just things like of that nature of like couple hundred bucks to maybe a thousand bucks or something on that
0: i had a, i had a sales leader tell me that when he was like 25 years old he crushed his number at his sales job and the prize was that you got uh the company leased you a porsche convertible for the summer so he was like a 25 year old kid driving around in this sweet porsche convertible for the summer he said it was the best summer he ever had so
1: it was only for like three or four months that he. That it, it was only like,
0: for three months. But I mean, <laughs> so it's, only it's, a few, three months. it's
1: only a few grand, right? It's like it's. Not yeah, that. yeah. He loved it. He loved it. I think we also had a Plinko board and you drop the Plinko. And so you'd win a spiff. You get to drop a Plinko chip into the Plinko board. And, it, and, and the, the things at the bottom would be different prizes. That's the kind of stuff that just, you know, that, that it's fun. And you can do that without. That, those are the kind of things that don't really cost a lot of money. If it's like, hey, you got some AirPods or something, but but we would always try and tie that to like tie that to like some other like who could who can get the most the, the most of their contracts with an upfront payment this this quarter.
0: Ooh, I like that
1: one. Things like that where it's like, what behavior are trying? Or like most upfront payments, or a, a, anytime you get a a two year deal, you get something small.
0: I also worked at another place. I felt like we were just giving away iPads left and right. I was like, you get an iPad, you get an iPad, you get an iPad.
1: That that stuff can be fun and that's it, but it's all got to net out at the end of the day, right? In terms of your total cost of sales and marketing. And, you know, if it works, it works. But I think, again, a lot of dollars have have flown from LPs to VCs to tech companies and down the toilet over the last 10 years.
0: What's the biggest single commission check you've ever heard of in like enterprise SaaS? Like for, for one deal?
1: I, I don't know if I've heard of a million dollar one for one deal, but I, I've heard of a few north of 500K.
0: For a deal? Five, wow.
1: It, so so this is where sometimes, it, it typically a larger org.
0: That would have to be like a $50 million
1: deal, right? Well, not necessarily, right? Because for a SaaS company, when you're over your number, you're over your annual number, you're over 150% of your number, you've checked these three boxes, you've hit this and you've hit that, you can see uh, you know, your, the, the highest end loaded commission percentage on a deal can be close to 25%. And because it, they're way over their number, right? Now, at the end of the year, they made that, that big commission check, and you look back and this is my W2, take out my base, my loaded commission rate might be 18, 19, 20%. This one deal was massive, it was paid out at 25%. And then the other stuff was 10, 12, 13, 15. You know, if you are way above your number and say you got a million and a half quota for an enterprise seller, a million and a half quota, you're at, you're at two and a half, you get three or four big deals. And then you, and then the end of the year, that that last million and a half deal comes in, 1.5 million. Yeah. That's, that's a good Christmas many hundreds of thousands of dollars for that last deal that comes in, right? And this is the chap, like the CFO and the CEO need to look at that deal and they need to be doing more high fives. If they're kind of like grumpy about it, then then the comp plans might be set up a little bit wrong, right? They've gotta be excited.
0: I'm excited about that. And I think it's also great because word will get out to the other reps that people are making money. I I look at it too. It's not just making that one rep feel whole and feel appreciated, but it, it tells a story that we're willing to pay people for high performance.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: I had heard this story from a friend. So like, I didn't know the person, but this is like back in the nineties when doing like hardware sales, it was either at Dell or at IBM but the rep had closed some absolutely massive deal. And it was like a check, like a 500,000 or like a 750,000 or even a million dollar check. And they went out and bought a Cape house with it uh, in, in, uh, in Massachusetts. And then the deal fell through and then they tried to claw it back. And he's like, I already bought the house. Like I can't do that. So you hear like crazy stories from back in the day with, with these things. Oh my God,
1: that's brutal. Yeah. I don't even want to think, I don't even, I wouldn't even want to think about that.
0: So uh, get into some trends here. So what are some of the impacts at RepView that you're seeing, you know, post-COVID? Because we had this zero interest rate environment. Has the way that reps are quoted and paid changed since then? Well, yeah,
1: the, I think the biggest, so zero interest rate environment, you mentioned that post-COVID zero interest rate. So money was flowing in, right? And it, and it created a, like from VCs and funding was super easy for tech companies. If you had a pulse, you could you could get funding. I'm not saying that's how RepView got funded, but I'm just saying, <laughs> it was very, very easy. Um, we, do, we do have a pulse, but, um, but I'm talking more about these larger companies and the software companies and things like that. And so everybody's competing for it. So what do you do with that money? You go, hey, add 50 more reps. The, the, the competition for talent was super, super high. So that's demand. So the price goes up, fixed supply, demand. You know, I was an econ major. This is the only thing I remember from economics in college. Uh, you know, you, you've got, you've got demand going up. So in a fixed set of supply, right. The salespeople. So like, they're going to pay, they're going to pay them more. So they pay them more. Right. And then you go back to your five to one ratio. Your, your OTE went from 200 and now your OT we're paying them 250 now because we have to, but it's do, probably the same quota. Right. Get these people. Well, no, you know, so it's like it, it maybe initially, but like, you can't just say, all right, Hey, remember, we used to do this five to one ratio. Well, we're going to do four to one now because they're more expensive. Well, it's like, well, I don't know if the economics really work like that. So the, the quotas might creep up a little bit, but you're making a lot more money. Uh, so it's probably all right. And, and everybody's buying in 2021, 2020, 2020, everybody's buying. And then all of a sudden with the macroeconomic conditions, quotas are high, nobody's buying, and now nobody's hitting quota, right? And so now this that's where we got to with, with this whole the mess. So the, the biggest impact on salespeople at the time it was awesome because you could just go anywhere and get any job if you've got some experience in tech sales and parlay that into more and more and more and then all of a sudden boom layoffs hit and and that's where that money went right you hear like well they're not laying off engineers now well yeah you know but the the, the, the massive hiring boom was more on the sales side and so it comes up now it's come down um and so it's it's been it's been very challenging and, and It was the right thing. The layoffs were the right thing to do because people were not hitting, like it was just way too much capacity. The result was over capacity um, at sales organizations.
0: And it it really is like a non-linear unwinding that happens because like you said, it's all those factors stacked together. And then once the tide goes a little bit lower, like the math doesn't hang anymore.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: I want to drill into something you said there around like hiring and and firing and attrition. So as a finance person who's running the budget, I do have to plan for that attrition and make sure I have enough cushion for reps leaving. What, what are you seeing as the average attrition rate for, for sales reps right now, or, or said another way, what's the average tenure that you're seeing? We don't
1: capture, we do, we actually have some of that data. I, I should pull it. But so yeah, attrition is a function of tenure, right? So if you say your average tenure is two years, then your average attrition rate is going to be 50%, right? So you're turning over half your team every year because the average tenure is two years, right? So that's how people should kind of think about that. And then, you know, two years, that's what we're talking about out here. I post on LinkedIn a lot and people are like, oh, t- jump ship every two years, three years at most, right? If you've been there three years, that's amazing. That's
0: long tenure. Yeah, you're really a dinosaur now. after three years now.
1: Yeah. and But that's three years. That's a 30. So like the, the best sellers are going to stay three years and they'll jump and go somewhere else. That means the best you could do would be 33% attrition rate. That's really tough. Right, That's really hard. And I've said, I said, I did a post like a week or so ago. It was a little controversial because I basically was saying like, you really can't accomplish much in that time period. Right. The first year is always going to be kind of like, yeah, you know, you're, you're ramping. And then the second year, you kind of like, you could have a good second year and you're like, oh, you, you hit your number and then you hit your number twice, your second or third year. And then you jump. It's like, is that really sustained success or did you know, or what's, what's kind of going on here? Like, and I'm not saying not to jump in this tough environments and some sales orgs are not well-run. So you gotta, there's gonna be job hopping, especially in the pandemic. My point was as a hiring manager, and I know this, like we talk to recruiters all day. We have a product, one of the products, rep sells sales is, is to recruiters, is to, to employers, to hire help hire people. We hear it all the time. Job hopping is fine. Totally cool with job hopping, but they do wanna see one like successful tenure. And we can, we can debate on, defining what a successful tenure is, you know, were you there four years? Is that success, is is 2.75 years enough to be successful? I would argue probably not. Um, You can be successful in that role, but what it hasn't shown me is sustained success. You know, sustained success. So uh, job hop right now, fine, a lot of challenges, like, but what my advice is, like try and get in a position as a salesperson where you can win for a few years in a row not including your ramp year.
0: Well, what my mind goes to Ryan is that most equity at startup tech companies vests over four years. And you're saying the 10 years, somewhere between two and three. That's right. Did you have any insights as to if CEOs or CFOs were adjusting quotas mid-period to help those sales reps out when the economy kind of bottomed out there for a while? Does that ever actually happen in reality?
1: It does happen. I I would say like when you talk about mid-period, right? Like maybe not like intra-quarter,
0: no, I don't know. But like quarter to quarter, they could.
1: Yeah, but I, I, I wouldn't. The reality of it is, and we've seen this, that is what you would bucket as a corrective action. And the, the effect of that corrective action would be you're going to enable more people to see some success. You're going to maybe retain some more people. Your, your economics don't improve in that way. So it does happen. But the more common corrective action is a reduction in force. That normalizes in the same way, really, and 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 it's better economically for the business. And I think that's what we saw over the last twelve months, twelve to fifteen months. Is you know, well, let's just lower everybody's quotas. And so it's like, well, we could we could lower them a little bit, but like we can't lower them thirty percent and sustain that economically. So that's why in the boardroom, it's like, yeah, we could like yeah lower quotas. Nope. It's really about right-sizing the, the headcount of the org as, as the more the more specific corrective action that I've seen taken. Um, although anecdotally, yes, I, I know for a fact that certain well-known tech organizations have have done some reductions in, in, in quota.
0: That is interesting though, because that is essentially a quota reduction because you're taking people who are competing for the same deals out of the field to give you a better chance of that at bat getting on base.
1: That's right the reverse of slicing the pie up in too many slices.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I never thought about it that way. So, uh, last question I got for you here. So we talk a lot about tools and software stacks in the show. And as a finance guy, I admit I can be pretty cheap as the tools I pay for the reps to use. And I did notice that on RepView, you track the tools that the company will provide like a gong or sales loft. So, um, does that really matter to sales reps or are reps actually making decisions based on that? And, should I pay for better tools?
1: No, I mean, I, I, think that what, what really matters is that you have an effective and efficient tech stack, y- you know, arguing over, and I hate to say it, uh, the overlap in what these tools do is so similar. The whole, like what, outreach versus sales law. Like I, I couldn't, I, I have no idea what the differences are. They will tell you that there's might or might not be better. And they're both fine quality tools. As, as a hiring person, it's you have the right tools in place, right? Like at Repview, for example, we use um, Chorus by Zoom Info, and we looked at Gong, which we really liked. We're a startup, we only need a couple seats. It was way cheaper for startups. you know. So for like 40% of the price and not maybe 90% of the functionality, it's, it's a no brainer. That's one example of like, these are all, a lot of these tools are kind of quality, like they're, they're well done, you, you know, sellers expect a modern stack. They, they, they need the contact data, like with Zoom Info's there in that space, Sales Intel, Apollo, all these, all these folks in there. You know, as a CFO, I've, I've been surprised i bought a lot of software in the last few years. There's a wide dis- discrepancy in price on some of these similar tools, very wide.
0: Like it's sometimes like 3X.
1: Yeah, exactly. And some of them it's like 3X and maybe that's like, well, this one's, maybe it's been a little bit more built for the enterprise or they have this and that. And so you look at your stage and like, can we implement it easily? What's the total cost of ownership? To, to answer your question specifically, salespeople want a modern tech stack. Every once in a while, somebody will say, oh, I'll never use this instead of this. Well, we use this. So like, you know, especially now, like you know, like I, I, I would, I would be more concerned about, Hey, let's make sure we don't have any big gaps. Like, and I know some CROs are like, I'm only ever going to use Salesforce or.
0: Yeah. I've worked with CF CROs like that. Like they're like, I need, I need gong and cool. If that makes you successful, I'll buy it.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, maybe, and that's, that. it may be that they've only ever used it. Not that they've used something else and it was terrible. It's just, I've only ever used this and I love it. Well, it's like, well, look at this one because it's kind of the same or, or maybe it's not. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't get to, we, we love the data and it's really interesting for us to see, um, you know, kind of who you know what's, who's using what and our salespeople and our users love it too. Um, but I, I don't think it's like like the end all be all in terms of the decision process.
0: Are there any tools that have caught your eye lately specifically for sales reps or any that you think are on the rise? I mean, we, we, we actually started
1: using Apollo for contact information. And, and, and I like that one, I mentioned, you know, we use Chorus as a business. Like outside of the sales stuff, we use um, we use Gusto, and, and I love Gusto, by the way.
0: We talked to the head of finance from Gusto last week. They're great. Yeah, it's
1: my favorite software platform. I, I'm a old school Salesforce power user. I, I would <laughs> tried and <yeah>. true. <laughs> but if somebody was like, "Hey, here's this," you know, down the road, we, we, you know, obviously folks on Repute, but it's like if, if there's like, "Oh, this incredible opportunity," but we use HubSpot. Man, sure, we can figure it out.
0: Well, Ryan, this has been a blast. People are going to dig this. Sales comp is something that people are always asking to, uh, you know, pull the curtain back on. So, thanks so much for carving out time for us today.
1: Awesome. Yeah, this is great. Enjoyed it. This is all stuff I live and breathe, and and we talk about every day. So, love talking about it. Thank you, sir.
0: Roll the credits. Producer Natalie. Run the numbers as part of the Turpentine Podcast Network. It is produced by Natalie Torrin and edited by Justin Golden album artwork by some ai thing yelling an intro by fat joe if you made it this far please give us five stars i really need this